0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books and Early Modern Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Yana Byers, your host, and I'm here today with Mariana Cecilia Velasquez, an assistant professor of Spanish at the University of Nevada, Nevada, Reno. And we're going to talk about her new book, Cultural Representations of Piracy in England, Spain and the Caribbean. Travelers traders and traders 1517 1570 to 1604 pardon out this year 2023 with Rutledge. Hi Mariana and welcome to the program. Hi
1: Yana thank you so much for having me. I'm very pleased to talk to you today.
0: It is wonderful I'm really excited um, and we've got quite a difference. You are in Reno this morning yes you're yes. <laughs> How is Reno Sorry. And how's Reno? What's what's how's your fall looking? Well,
1: my fall is starting. Uh, I'm not that happy about the weather. Uh, I know winter's coming, so uh, being born and raised in the Caribbean, my skin's still not so used to uh, winters. Even though I've been around for 13 years now in winters, but i um, you know getting the coats out of the closet and um, accepting my reality.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, you, there's there is nothing to do about the weather. But yeah. <laughs> right? this fall, yeah.
1: Sorry, you and you're teaching this fall. I'm teaching this fall. I'm very excited about it. Um, um, I'm teaching three courses. I'm teaching one graduate course and two undergraduate courses. Uh, my graduate course is actually about transatlantic colonial literature. So I'm 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 uh, I'm actually like discussing topics uh, that are present in my book, and and of course other authors. Uh, I'm not that professor that assigned their own books to their classes, but you know I just mention it from time to time. Um, and I'm also uh, teaching courses in Spanish Peninsula literature and Spanish American literature. So I I'm a, I'm a transatlantic professor. So I have to do a little bit of. Europe and a little bit of the New World or America.
0: Oh, that's very cool. That sounds wonderful. Um, I'm sure uh, very interesting, probably frustrating as well, but good. <laughs> okay. okay, so let's get to this. Why piracy? How did you come to write this book?
1: So I would like to share a little anecdote that goes back from my childhood um, to my childhood uh, to explain the origins of my past. Uh, to the main topic of my book, Pirates of the Caribbean. So, as I was, uh, as I mentioned before, I was born and raised in San Juan, Puerto Rico, a little island in the Caribbean. More specifically, I was born and raised in Old San Juan, which is a 16th century Spanish-founded city, and and I was surrounded by Spanish 16th century Spanish military fortresses and all the like. So. Uh, when I was a fourth grader in school, um, I remember very clearly when we started talking about pirates, like that's, that was part of the, of the, of the history, right? Of the history of Puerto Rico. And that was the first time I actually heard about uh, Sir uh, Sir Francis Drake, one of the main characters of the book, the English captain, Sir Francis Drake. and. And I was so excited about it because he actually attacked Puerto Rico in 1595. So I was like, oh my God, I'm walking through the streets, in the streets that he actually attacked, um, yeah, 400 years ago. But so I felt like part of that history. And I also remember that the the textbook um proposed a very stable definition of piracy and it was based on the distinction distinction between a pirate and a corsair um, which basically was like pirates are outlaw figures why, whereas corsairs are state sponsored or crown sponsored crown sponsored figures so they were legal pirates to 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 put it in 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 a few words so I was. Uh, I remember that that binary scheme seemed to make a lot of sense to me. Like, okay, so pirates are yeah, uh, alone, they're lonely figures, nationless characters, whereas corsairs are sponsored by the Spanish crown or the English crown. In the in Francis Drake's case, or, or the like, and this binary opposition worked very well for, very, very well for me throughout my entire adulthood until I. I went to grad school and during the early stages of my research I found out that the story was much more complicated than that. That was 20 years after and and I I found that primary sources and contemporary scholarship uh, often blurred such a conceptual distinction of these categories, pirates and corsairs, when describing or reporting Francis Drake's affairs in the Americas during the during the second half of the sixteenth century, and so I I started to notice this uh, semantic and linguistic flexibility in several cases. For instance, um, I found the um, the interchangeable use use of the terms Corsair and pirate around, uh, among many sources, like legal treatises, royal decrees, um, official letters, or even poetry, or different different cultural registers. And, and then I said, hmm, this is something here, like not only uh, primary sources are not consistent with the language and vocabulary employed to describe Francis Drake and other figures, like him but also a scholarship contemporary scholarship also uh, fall into this practice and that's what i said okay i'm going to i'm going to work on this and i'm going to and and i got i got super drawn to this
0: yeah i can see that and that's these are a lot of the questions i want to talk about today you've just hit on um And so, uh, before we go any further, I want to talk a little bit more about the sources. So you mentioned legal treatises, um, or and like just kind of published works. Can you tell our audience, our listeners, a little bit more what you looked at?
1: Okay, so um, in in many, I I work, I I work my 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 approach. Sorry, is uh, mainly interdisciplinary. Uh I'm a cultural historian by training, but actually uh I study bit, like my, my formation it's in literature mainly. I did a PhD in, in Spanish and Latin America and Latin American and Brian cultures. And but we were my training is uh to conduct interdisciplinary research. So I do close reading of different sources. And in the terms of in, in terms of relating to legal sources, I looked during the sixteenth century and even before that. Um, I started with Polybius, like the classical author, the one who starts talking about pirates, um, back in the, the classical times. And to and to historicize a little bit, like the concept of piracy, how how it emerged, and then I moved to the 16th century. More specifically, I read uh, treatises of, uh, from, for instance, French author John Baudin, and and also um, Alberico Gentili. An Italian who was a uh, who, who was a lawyer for the Spanish Crown in England, and he wrote also uh, legal treatises about piracy. Or piracy, it's present on his legal treatises. I also I also work with uh, Hugo Grotius, like the mastermind of the concept of freedom of the seas and geographical spaces, uh, those legal spaces, and so I. I started to read uh, to explore and analyze uh, legal sources that not only talked about piracy but actually talked about space, geographical space, and how what what was the relationship between piracy and those spaces, and how piracy came to define those spaces or vice versa. And so that's uh, that's my interest when when I looked at legal sources and also royal decrees from. Elizabeth I or Philip II, who are the the kings and queens of my time period, um, and how they uh, hey, they articulate different mandates about the customs or behaviors that should be uh, upheld by pirates or corsairs. And Those are the main legal actors that I that I that I work with.
0: And in all of these sources. Um... There's this idea that there are there are pirates and they are illicit figures, and you early on talk about a couple um, formulations for what makes a pirate, right? And there's one recom- relies on economic social conditions and another relies on geography. But overall, there's this idea that we know what pirates are and they're these illicit like liminal features, right? Figures. But you your book really. Um, really complicates that idea. right? You really complicate this idea that you can, that we can even know who they are. And certainly you can see uh, this give and take. So, um, which I, that's fair. Yeah, that there's no uh, kind of universal understanding what makes a pirate. uh, But like Francis Drake is a wonderful place to start talking about that. Can you tell us about Francis Drake? Of course.
1: uh, That's my, that's, that's, That's one of the, that's a fundamental um, uh, figure in my research. And I think it's crucial to understand this uh, liminarity behind the figure of the pirate through the lens of this figure. Uh, Francis Drake, um, so yeah, going back to what you were saying, yeah, we have this notion that we know that pirates are liminal figures, they're illicit, they're all of this Bad things, but I think that not only popular culture has a lot to do with that, uh, but also like that understanding that we have of the pirate, that modern understanding of the pirate, pirate as an illicit uh, figure or agent, it's a little bit more related to that of Johnny Depp's character in Disney saga pirates of the Caribbean, right? Like Jack Sparrow is like this uh, idea of what a pirate was during those colonial times or or during those times, I mean, 15th, 16th, 17th century. But actually, that kind of character or that kind of um, nationless and ruthless character, like Johnny Depp's character, Jack Sparrow, um, it's it's closer uh, to our modern understanding of piracy. But he falls in he would fall into the category of buccaneer or filibusters because we have many categories within the phenomenon of piracy during the golden age of piracy from the 16th to the 18th centuries so we have different categories that emerged through time right and historians they have they have dwelled uh, they have studied this in depth uh for in and then uh, filibusters and buccaneers they were born in the 17th century in the Caribbean still. Like the Caribbean still is an important uh, scenario for these American and European interactions. And, and I, I believe that it, it, it had a, has an important role in defining piracy and these models of piracy. But Francis Drake, he is from a different era. I think he's from a previous era, from that ruthless and nationless pirate that we associate with today. Um, he is, uh, he, he's, he's distinct, like he's different for many reasons. The first reason that I, I, I consider is because he was a sir. After the circumnavigation of the globe from 1577 to 1580, he was the first ca- non-Iberian captain to actually circumnavigate the globe and live to tell the story, right? The previous one was by Magallanes, Magellan and, and he died before reaching Spain uh, at the beginning of the 16th century. So this was like a, a very, very important uh, event for England, for, this, for the English crown And also it positioned England in a better geopolitical position in relation to that of Spain. Spain was the empire, right? It was the, the the emerging empire, the consolidated also empire with the Americas and navigation. And then England, this event, it's like, oh my God, it was some sort of like a like the space competition, right, back in the 60s. Uh, So this was also in the 1960s. So this was also like a competition for who can actually uh, travel these spaces, these unknown spaces. And Francis Drake did it. And for doing that, the, the the queen, Elizabeth I, knighted him, Sir Francis Drake, uh, and he was a sort of a knight of the seas. Then he was not a knight in land, but at the seas. And I, I work, I work uh, with these arguments in chapter one when I, when I, uh, when I work about the role of these events and this construction of Francis Drake as a knight of the seas and how it affects the very consolidation or articulation of piracy. Um, so he was uh, knighted right he was a sir so he might be a pirate in front of the spaniards but he was a a, a, a sir uh, before the english eyes. and also he 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 had like he also participated in the in 1588 when uh, the spanish armada was defeated um, so he participated in political collective campaigns of england not only Participated on events for his own personal benefit, right? And then, like, he was uh, sponsored by the crown, but he was not, like, sponsored by the crown as we might want to think. Like, there was a gray uh, relationship uh, between the crown and Francis Drake, like, also uh, that complicates much more the story. So, that's why I what I'm interested in is in Francis Drake as a social construct. How Francis Drake how Francis Drake was perceived during his time. How sources talk about him. How is how is he depicted in maps in portrait in portraits, uh, in literature, in uh, bureaucratic correspondence, right? And 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 then it, what it what emerge is a transatlantic figure, unstable, both a pirate, a corsair, an enemy, a, a hero, a traitor, a trader, right? Like it's uh, and, and 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 that actually uh, in that in doing so he exemplifies that the thirst of piracy is contingent, relational, and fluid. And that's why Francis Drake is uh, the main star of my movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so great. That's such a great way to put it. You really nailed it there. Yeah. I mean, it, is he a pirate or is he a hero? Is he the knight? Is he noble? Right. That's um, yeah. Wow. you—you. You, this is not the first time you have said that. <laughs> <I'm sorry>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about this guy for like 10 years. <laughs>
0: it's like you read a book about him i tell you um it, it's so you know he's this um this character i would never have thought about him he's sir francis drake right and then i'm reading your book and i'm like yeah he's a pirate oh no <laughs> um it's a, a fascinating and he's such a good demonstration for this idea that like piracy is in the eye of the beholder, for sure um, the other thing you just mentioned that I really want to hit on is the idea of the open seas, which seems so romantic. What does that mean? The open seas? like who owns the ocean?
1: Yeah, so that's a question that we still are fighting about it. We're still defining those things, right um, uh, the the open seas, as we understand it today, will be the international waters like that. Portion of our oceans that we don't think about it that often, unless we want to get into a casino in a cruise ship or something. Like you know, that's the that's a, that's the a familiar right a relationship that we have with that open seas. Open seas would be international waters today. So during this time, during the during the 17th century, um, early 17th century, like um, we have. Hugo Grotius uh, defending like writing the his famous treaty uh, freedom of the seas and he was interested in freedom of the seas because uh, he was in he he, he um, what he had in mind was the the routes to or the routes to get to the low countries like right? uh, that that portion that the east indies right he was interested in that zone. So he proposed that we should, uh, we can have control over land, but not over sea, because sea the sea has different qualities. And this is something that other authors, like other and other legal law, uh, treated, um, authors, like, or lawyers, like Angel, uh, Alberico Gentili from England, will also talk about they will say, okay, the sea cannot be dominated or administrated like we can do inland because first of all, it has a fluid quality. Like we cannot put borders on on the sea, right? And so by nature, we can't uh, close a sea. However, historically, there have been moments where the seas have been controlled and that they actually are referring to closer waters, right? Um, John Selden from England responds to Hugo Grotius when he proposes that the the, the seas should be for everybody to navigate them. Um, John Selden from England, he responds, another, um, another uh, uh, legal theorist, he responds, closed seas, Uh, it's uh, a mare liberum, it's the title of uh, uh, Hugo Grotius' text, like free seas or freedom of the seas, and then John Seldon responds with mare clausum, like let's close the sea, right? And then what he argues is that historically we have had closed seas, like the Pope has had his own seas, or even people from what today is Great Britain or that part Geographical part, they have had like a ownership of those coasts, right, and beaches or or closer areas to actually have activities like fishing, right, and economical control of that. So, so that was the the so the, there was that debate during the first half of the seventeenth century. Uh, we have that debate. Um, um and it's about that the and what they're proposing is like an open seas, like what what Grotius, Grotius and also uh Alberico Gentili is proposing it's an open seas for everyone to navigate because we cannot have control over those uh fluid spaces, which also brings the question uh if it's if it's not dominated by anyone, then what I find in that geographical space that sea, I can take it. Right? Like then that brings the question of um, what about a ship, a vessel, right? a boat in that sea, if I run into it, if I run into it, is that is that whose property is it? Right? What is the jurisdiction of that sea? Right and that and so it was much more complicated to establish. Then, okay, if the sea has, if it's an open sea, it means that there's no jurisdiction. But then, what about uh, the ships, the boats? The are they? Do they have jurisdiction? So then they have a lot of uh, discussion about it too. And then they had weird rules about it. Like Gentili, for instance, he said, "Well, if you capture a treasure, you have to navigate." Uh, x y uh, amount of 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 miles and get to a closer shore to the coast and then stay with the bounty for at least 24 hours and then after that if the if the if the other ship doesn't doesn't come to you then that's yours so they had they had to create diff this this uh, this idea of open seas also brought up the question of creating rules and and principles to then define What's property within that space?
0: So, what's happening um, then when we get to someplace? This okay. So we don't know who owns that middle of the mid-Atlantic. Okay, but what about the Caribbean, where you know the Spaniards seem to think that that's theirs? Mm-hmm. What up? So yeah.
1: Uh, that's uh that's a uh, that's a very interesting question because uh, the Caribbean uh it's uh, the Caribbean islands to for, uh, to start it was uh, it, it was part of the first um vice kingdom um of Spain uh, but then it was a, it, it was Columbus Christopher Columbus vice kingdom but since uh, since there were other vice, uh, um vice kingdoms uh, that were more important like what today is Mexico or the back then was new spain and and then Peru what today is Peru uh, the the Caribbean islands were left in'm so uh, a, a, a sort of like oblivion they 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 were the Spanish crown was particularly oblivious of the Caribbean islands and they they just functioned as or mainly, their function was to be uh, to become ports. They were ports to uh, for for uh, filling up the ships like with food and other um, other necessary things. So there was not really like a like an economic uh, boom in those islands, like it was happening in other parts of the Americas. So yes, it was their sea, the Spaniards. The Spaniards not only claimed that the Caribbean sea was theirs, but the whole entire continent, the discovered one, the known one. So all those seas pertain to them. Like they believed that, um, even though the English did not be, did not believe that. And there's a lot of discussion about that also, and you can see that in the sources um they had this rule like first come first serve um, and that was like their way of articulating that uh sovereignty and in these places and they believed that the disease yeah it was theirs but it, it actually wasn't um but the main problem was that they had no uh efficient policy Policing, like they couldn't, they couldn't take care of those seas. Like they tried to establish uh, flotilla systems, like like policing uh, fleets, uh, but it failed. Those projects failed one after another one, uh, one after the other. Sorry, and so the pirates or corsairs or these, let's say, these uh, interlopers, non-Iberian interlopers in the Caribbean actually had a sort of open seas because also they had the contribution from the people living in those islands whose commerce was primarily based on their economic interaction because with spain they had barely any any economic interaction because spain was more um worthy than more invested in other parts of america of the continental america so yeah they were, that was like their the free space and they ended up having Spain had ended up even having to like uh, uh seed or 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 give some islands to these powers for instance uh, Jamaica was the first one they finally realized okay we can't have control over Jamaica and they gave it right they gave it away and same with a lot of the virgin islands that we have same with what well, today it's Haiti it was given to the french because they could not control or defend uh, those parts of the island uh, because they didn't they were, they were not interested and they were not invested so they and that's why you have a fragmented caribbean today that's why the caribbean today it's such a diverse cultural And then uh, culturally cultural place like in terms of language, customs, everything like you have Dutch islands, you have French islands, you have English islands, you have even US islands, you have like uh, all this and the origins is piracy.
0: Yeah, it seems like pirate is a very useful term in the 16th century, even the 17th century, as European nations are figuring out who's going to get what spoils. Like pirate then is a useful term. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, precisely. Like that's, that's, a, that's the way that, that I, that I, I, I came up with, with this idea. And, and that's how I make sense out of this. Like, Piracy. it's a discourse that it's unstable and because if it's, stable, it's unstable it's useful like it's not unstable and malleable and flexible by coincidence If you have it like that, if you have it uh, in a a gray area, if you maintain that gray area, then it becomes very useful for different agendas. It could be imperial agendas or uh, oriented in, 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 in getting territories. It could be economic agendas in terms of spoiling. Uh, uh chips on the sea uh it could be religious agenda projecting which is the which is the, the 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 true religion we have to we cannot forget that during this time period we have protestants against catholics so drake it's a pirate and and he's a pirate because he's he's actually a protestant right and and that's and and then so you and and then he's uh and then sometimes you even see like the word protestant actually they use the in spanish verses they use the word lutheran it's a little bit it's 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 not um historically correct but that was the word they used and they said yeah Dre, he's a Lutheran, right when they wanted to say that he was a pirate right and then and then you create these, these uh these, uh these associations among different categories that pertain to different discourses: the religious discourse, the moral discourse, the political discourse, the economic discourse, right? And and, and piracy, that instability becomes useful, and 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 the and it's always motivated by different agendas institutional individual like we can find that at different levels
0: sure and economic i mean like the economics of it are so clear but one of the things that became clear while reading your book is that it's it's not just that right it goes way past economics and uh, um so the 16th century very useful does that change as we move into the 17th and 18th century the way that pirate is used yeah, so I argue in this book that uh, after, like, this main, during
1: Francis Drake's lifetime, uh, we had Elizabeth I in England and Philip II in Spain. And we have to wait. We we had to wait until Drake's death and also Queen Elizabeth I's death and Philip II's death to finally have their successors, uh, James I and Philip III, to actually say, okay let's drop it like let's drop it it's been it's it's been you know uh that time uh 24 years of constant battle every day and let's just sign uh what it's known as the treaty of london uh, treaty of peace in 1604 and then it's very interesting because in that moment um uh, you find the word pirate uh, that you you find an interest in defining piracy that you didn't from both parts, from the English part and the Spanish part. Before that, we had Francis Drake at the center of these two um, um, conflicting versions of who he was, right? But now we have Spain and England on the same page. They say, okay, what's a pirate? A pirate is this, a pirate is that. And we forbid that. And then they agreed to forbid that. And that opened up the possibility of having commerce between Spain and England uh, on the English ground. And it was much more profitable in that sense. But that also uh, brought a problem, uh, which was that then uh, you have uh, Spain and England, uh, very happy with their treaty. Uh, they have commerce they can help each other Spain has a lot of resources in America uh, uh, this English crown is already establishing colonies or te- at least territories by this time in the new world uh, so you have like uh, the big picture it's it's um it's positive it's a uh, it's uh, engaging in that sense however you had a whole whole class of pirates in England that suddenly were told, hey, you cannot do that anymore. And actually, I'm going to pay you to go and um, and go after those that are still being pirates. Right. And, and that's very interesting that I worked out on the final chapters of the book, because then the discourse changed. And then you have people in England like Henry Manwaring, one of my favorite ca- characters, that he's criticizing James the because he says, "Oh, how come now they say that no piracy? But we have had like that's in our history. That's part of the Golden Age, the golden, gold, the good old days of Elizabeth the right?" And now we die of hunger and now we're being treated badly and now we have to and, and then obviously he, he wrote a manual on how to get pirates. He kind of betrayed his own peers because he needed the pardon and he was pardoned by the king. And so we find that con not contradiction, but that paradox that it also it it, it um standardizing in terms of legal, uh, in legal terms, uh, piracy brought a lot of fortune to England because then commerce was possible with Spain and all the territories in the New World. But at the same time, locally or let's see, at the domestic level, it was dangerous because we had a they they had a big class, a big part of of society that used to engage in those practices. And what did they do? They had to then. Um, enlist or join the Ottoman Empire. To uh, we, That was actually very welcoming. They were like, okay, you just have to convert. And we have you, we give you a boat, we give you a crew, we give you money. We know that you're the best in navigation. So then you have all these people from the English society going to uh, and joining forces with the Ottoman Empire. And we have place. That talk about this, right? We have Christopher Marlowe. Uh, we we have different uh, plays that talk about this figure of the renegado or the renegade, who who's actually the, the pirate who converted to the, to Islam to have money
0: and keep being a pirate, right? Which is basically doing exactly what they were doing before, but now it's illegal. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. In the case of the Caribbean, it's interesting. I, just to bring it to the Caribbean, it's interesting because then you have the the buccaneers and the filibusters, uh, mainly French and Dutch, and and they little by little they keep establishing themselves in the island, in the islands that Spain cannot control until finally uh, their respective crowns get a hold of those places. Hey, we have famous pirates like Captain Morgan. There's even a Rom with his name. Um and and, and all and all the the let the myths, non the medical figures that we see in popular culture. Um, but that's basically now it's not all about uh the, then piracy it's not more I I what I argue is that it lost its polemical utility because now it was it was legally standardized and then the language and vocabulary become became more stable and 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 categories of identity were finally consolidated and assigned
0: yeah and if major powers are agreeing on then then um, spaces you can hide become much harder to come by yeah. i mean the ottoman empire all right, very cool. Wow, Great. such a good story. I um, it it does tend to dampen one's Johnny Depp fantasies or Aunt bonnie or any you know kind of like the idea of pirates I have, but it's still um a really solid work. I, I really enjoyed reading. Thank you very much. So uh, now I have just one more question, which is, what's next? What are you working on now? Oh my God. So what's next? So
1: I have to admit that I had an existential crisis when that book came out in March, 2023. Uh, I was like, Oh my God, so much years that I spent in, in archives in England, in Spain, in the Caribbean. Like I, I, I really like, uh, I, uh, (laughs) my dad and I, we used to joke about it because he helps me, like he reads what i write just you know because i want someone like non specialist to read what i write and he he believes that these guys are his friends like he talks about drake and gentili and john seldon like his buddies you know and then and then suddenly we lost our buddies you know like i i lost drake i lost you know alberico gentili we have been talking for so long so I was like, oh my god, what am I gonna do? So first I wanted to move. I want, I'm 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 working on my second book project and and a couple of articles to rehearse the arguments. Uh, first I wanna move to the uh, seventh more late seventeenth and eighteenth centuries. Uh, that's the first thing, like 16th century, it's amazing, it's fascinating, it's wonderful. But I wanted to move on a little bit uh, later because now I want to, to focus my my scholarship in the Caribbean. Like after all of this happened and all these buccaneers and filibusters came and all these um, uh, fragmented Caribbean emerged, I want to study the interrelations uh, among those islands and what's the common thread. So now I'm interested in corruption, so before I was all about piracy and let's say attacks and how the attacks were described um, but now uh and because i've I've been reading uh a lot of of, of, of documentation related to contraband practices because then these later pirates from the eighteenth century in the Spanish Caribbean islands, there were lots of accusations of contraband, and there were lots of accusations of corruption as well. So I went to Seville, I started some archival research, and... I want to explore the notion of corruption at both the institutional and the cultural level uh, during the se- late seventeenth to the eighteenth century uh, I want to employ an uh, again an interdisciplinary approach uh, because I plan to review a corpus that includes all sorts documentation that that are like you know the exchange between Spanish peninsula and Caribbean colonial authorities, and I mean, governmental documents, including court trials, urban planning, business reports, expenditure data, uh, formal complaints by individuals, and, and uh, among other sources. And what I wanna do with all this documentation is to actually trace the correlation between corruption and the consolidation of a Creole identity in the greater Hispanic Antilles and how how, how both are. It's not to say that then we're, uh, we're just like, people from the Caribbean are corrupt. But how? What corrupt? What the idea of corruption played in the consolidation of a Creole identity? How how Creole societies were seen as corrupt? They might not be. Like Francis Drake was or was not or not a
0: pirate. He might not be right. The, but the perception. Right. Of, of, yeah. of that. Oh yeah, and how that um how that term and like how that behavior judged illegal can then be, uh. We, um, uh, you know, marshaled for yeah. purpose. Cool. Excellent. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm excited about that. I'm <laughs> awesome. getting to work in the AGN in Sevilla is yes. fabulous. That's such a great archive.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Get right. Oh, I'm excited. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm very excited, too. I'm very excited, too, about, you know, starting this new adventure.
0: Sure. It's so fun at the beginning, isn't it? yeah it, it yeah. a couple of, we'll talk again in a couple of years we'll see, like, <laughs> let's see yeah <laughs> there's, a, there's a dark there's a there's a nadir but it's good uh overall yeah um excellent thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today it's been a really enjoyable and so yeah we'll talk again for the next one all right thank you of course yeah of course uh i hope so i hope so <laughs> thank
1: you Yana. <laughs>